Well, top of the morning to you. This is our Tuesday key market drivers call. It is September 26th. Here's our contact info. As always, we would love to hear from you. Let's just go ahead and jump into it. So I think I'm going to start at the bottom. It's a beautiful picture there. And uh, we're, we're kind of at that time of the year. I just love this time of the year. Uh, the weather starts to cool off. We got the combines out in the field. <laughs> a lot of times the dust that goes with it. Um, with the rain, a little bit of rain we've had around here, that's kind of calming things a bit. But U.S. harvest is rolling uh, kind of about on average, as we'll show you. But uh, nothing special, I would say, just more than anything, just to kind of enjoy the time of the year. I think we might see see this having a little bit of effect in some markets. When I get to the vegetable slide, uh, canola was kind of the big downer this week, at least from the uh, grains and oilseed complex. Canola seed prices fell uh, over 5%. And what I have heard is a lot of that is just attributed to harvest progress. Harvest is rolling along up in Canada, and apparently the Canadian farmer did not have a lot of seed sold. So from what we're picking up, maybe a little bit better than expected yields up there. Not a lot, but a little bit better than expected yields. And apparently a lot of that grain is hitting the market all at once. And that's why we're seeing prices down. Don't really see that effect here. I don't think we're nearly as far in yet. And um, U.S. farmers have probably got decent amounts on the on the books. Although we are sure hearing prices are way the hell up there, too. Yeah, but we are hearing. Uh, speaking of canola, we're hearing really good things out of North Dakota canola. Yeah, that, that yield seemed to be much higher. But in Canada, we're kind of picking up maybe just a little bit. But I'm getting ahead of myself more on that uh, later. We have a really big report this Friday. I say really big. Um, part of it is our SEP1 stocks report uh, that will serve as the official ending stocks. For last year's crops, beginning stocks, obviously, uh, for this year's crop. And there's a big wheat component in this one, too, right? Yep, we'll get our final wheat production estimates for really for all classes. And we get, you know, barley and whatever else, when we, whatever you consider a small grain. But yeah, that's the biggest, uh, one of the bigger reports for the year for, uh, for wheat. Okay, we'll talk more about that when we get it. The middle bullet there, some of you are probably scratching your head going, what the hell is that and what does it mean? Well, we'll, we'll show you, we'll talk about it. It's a, it's a compelling picture when I show it to you. Um, but D4 RINs are the RINs that you get for producing biodiesel and renewable diesel, basically. Um, and we have seen the price of those drop precipitously in the last two or three weeks. I'll show you the chart here in a second, but it, uh, it looks literally like driving a car off of a cliff. You remember the Thelma and Louise scene? That's kind of what the chart looks like. Um, and why is that important? That's probably the big reason bean oil prices have been so soft here uh, the last week or two. Remember we talked last week about uh, it looked like the energy market that was still flat or going up and the bean oil market was going down and that's kind of out of correlation. We talked about the possible reasons why, one of which was some spec activity which probably was exaggerating things a little bit, but I think in retrospect, this is probably the big underlying reason for this. Why are rents prices going down? Well, we're overproducing the mandate. Clearly with all these new plants starting up, we are overproducing the mandate. Uh, and, and that is, the RINs are basically the certificates, the, the credits that you get, if you will, that an energy company would use to show compliance to the EPA that they blended as many gallons of renewable fuels as they were required to by the RFS mandates. And so when we're overproducing the mandate, you would think that the value of those credits would drop. And that is uh, that is what we were seeing early in spades. So more on that as we get into it here. Uh, we'll talk about the SEP1 stocks report. Um, 
you think we're looking for a pretty sizable increase in the spring wheat crop, huh? Yeah, I well, I, I don't think the market thinks that. I do, and Bill does, okay. and a few of my just, other just what you're hearing. Yeah, a few of my other contacts and some of the things that I read, I think that we're going to see some of that. But certainly, when when we get to it, in fact, I think it might be on the next slide or whatever. But the average trade guesses for yeah, uh, let's so start on the right there, that little table there. This is the average estimates. Really, don't show much of a difference. In fact. R.J. O'Brien is saying the average estimate for all wheat is going to actually go down 5 million bushels. Um, I am not so sure about that, but again, that's why they call it an average estimate. <laughs> You're uh, towards the top end. Yeah, uh, Bill has got a number on his spring wheat uh, up around 490. Holy smokes. Uh, and and honestly, I wouldn't be shocked at all if we saw some upward adjustments to some of the other winter wheats. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, we'll see soon enough. We'll see on uh, Friday morning at 11 a.m. But that's that's the big piece uh, on the wheat side uh, on this Friday's report. And I think when you look at the grains and oil seeds, which is kind of on the other side there, uh, and really this is a this is the stocks report. This is uh, this is all we get. Uh, we're, we're kind of balancing our checkbook for the last time in the crop year, and we're trying to figure out what we got left in the checkbook. Market thinks we're going to have 1.43, uh, about a uh, billion bushels of corn left at the end of last year, which again is our beginning stocks this year. Uh, the market thinks we probably ended last year a little bit lower than that 250 estimate that we got from the USDA last month, uh, probably at about 242. So, the market is not looking for a lot of big changes. So what would we expect on this report? I'll tell you what we've seen in the past. We have at times seen some very large adjustments. Two years ago was the poster child for that. Uh, we found out at the end of the year, uh, we expected that we were out and ended with the covered bear. And lo and behold, the USDA had underestimated the size of the soybean crop by a staggering 92 million bushels. Misunderestimated. Misunderestimated. <laughs> um, is that going to happen this year? No, it's not going to happen this year. Why do I say that with such confidence? Um, simply because when you have a miss as big as we had two years ago, you didn't just find out you had more money in the checking account when you balanced it at the end. Remember, we get these quarterly stocks reports. And you could see starting off the March 1 stocks report, but especially in the June 1 stocks report that, holy cow, we got more in the checking account than we thought. Now, we didn't think the miss was going to be that bad. My point here is, is this year, there really doesn't seem to be anything in the prior two or three quarterly stocks report that tells us that the USDA is probably well way off. Now, it doesn't guarantee you're not going to have a miss, but uh, a miss the order of magnitude that we had two years ago is just uh, it's just not likely to happen. So. That is what we expect on the report. And by the way, I guess while I'm talking about that, we will do a beers in the back probably after the market closes or right about the time the market closes uh, on Friday to kind of discuss what the report told us, what Uncle Sam told us here, what the implications maybe are uh, going forward, if any. So tune into that. You can find that on our YouTube channel. You can get links to that, I think, uh, where you get that, Nate, on our social media stuff. And I think we'll probably send it out to customers. So. Yeah, it'll be posted on the YouTube and uh, Spotify, and we'll email it out. Everybody will get it. All right. All right. So there's the Rinscliffe. 
what you are looking at here is the price of D4 RENs, and the other color is D6 RENs. What that means in English is biodiesel RENs and ethanol RENs, basically. Biodiesel slash renewable diesel, I use those interchangeably. Uh, and you could see you had prices actually north of a buck fifty a gallon uh, back in July, and then we started to slowly work our way lower in August, uh, and then we kind of got to September and we drove off the edge of the cliff. Why did we drive off the edge of the cliff? Well, I said so. We're, we are actually overproducing the mandate. This is where RINs closed last Friday at a dollar five for biodiesel RINs, biofuel RINs. They traded below a buck yesterday. So the, the fall continues. Uh, we had heard, now this is a little back of the cocktail napkin math because it's not this simple because the government's in charge of it. Um, but back of the cocktail nap, back of the cocktail napkin would tell you that we have already overproduced by maybe as much as 10 or 11%. The renewable diesel slash biodiesel mandate, the D4 mandate, if you will. And we've got four months to go. That is only through August. Last Thursday or Friday, we got the well, I thought that Okay, I, I misunderstood. I was thinking that was through September. We had three months to go. We yeah, actually so had actually four months to go. August. Yeah, we just got the August data last week. And so uh, you are way the heck over the top. You can see at the bottom there, that's what the, uh, that's what the August RIN generation report told us. Second highest month ever for biodiesel RINs, the D4 RINs at a little over 700 million gallons. Uh, that's up over 10% from the prior month, and it's up 48% from August a year ago. So um, the scary part about this is all these big new plants, this marathon plant, the Phillips 66 plant out in California, haven't even started yet. And and I think the interesting thing about the RIN prices, you know, like to Scott's point, we just now got the August data from the government. So we're kind of yep. waiting to see what happened six weeks ago. But these RINs are more of a tea leaf because these are the people in the market trading these every day. These are the obligated parties that are buying and selling yep. these things. And so if I'm an obligated party and I call my, my accounting group and I say, hey, where are we at on our RIN obligation? They say, we're good, we're covered. Then I'm suddenly in the market selling whatever excess RINs I have, right? And so this is yep. this this becomes kind of the tea leaf on where we're going. And I, I would not be shocked if when we get our September numbers, we find that we maybe have overshot the runway big time. And to your point, Dave, I mean, we haven't even brought these new RD plants online. And this goes back to your comment that you've said about a thousand times, capacity does not equal demand. And, you know, you bring all these plants on. I think that the misbelief is that we're just going to blow the doors off of soybean oil or, or fat demand in the U.S. And if there's no demand for the product that they're producing, they likely aren't going to run at capacity. Um, I could be wrong, but. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's difficult. The reason that this affects the soybean oil prices or can is because all of those things, the price, uh, you know, and you can see I've got over there on the right hand side, there's a lot of moving parts, shapeless plug intended to put in a renewable diesel or biodiesel margin together. Uh, clearly, you got the price of the computing uh, hydrocarbon fuel, that would be diesel fuel. You got what the feedstock costs and they use a whole bunch of different feedstocks. You have the RIN value, this. Okay, because if you're making this stuff or you're blending this stuff, it's so that you can, if you're blending it, so you can sell the RIN to an obligated party, an energy company, right? If you're an energy company or you're producing this, it's the alternative that you have of either producing a biofuel and getting the RIN for yourself or having to go buy the RIN from somebody else. And so that's part of the margin, Cal, clearly with renewable diesel going to California, 
uh, the California carbon credit, the LCFS credit is part of it. We get the government tax credit. So you got a lot of things moving around here trying to make a biodiesel margin. But when the price of, of RINs falls, uh, that means the margin, a biofuel margin, production margin goes down and making the markets trying to make up for that by taking bean oil prices down a little bit too. So again, a lot of moving parts, but that is probably the biggest reason to explain why bean oil prices have been so soft the last week or so. So anyway, let's move on here. Um, South American corn and soybeans. This is a good graphic that I'm not sure which one of you guys found this, but it gives you a little bit of an idea visually of corn production on the left, soybean production on the right, of, of what the USDA is expecting. And look at that soybean number on the right. Look at that dark blue bar, that's Brazil. They have been an absolute juggernaut producing soybeans. They passed US for soybean production about, uh, what, four, five, six years ago, something like that. Uh, we're the gray line, by the way. And then you got Argentina. And the big rebound there is just simply, we had a we had a 100 year drought down there. A, a La Nina-induced drought that uh, we shouldn't have to deal with this year, theoretically. So let's hope Mother Nature adheres to that. So at any rate, good graphic there. Let's go ahead and hop into it here. Corn prices didn't do much last week, didn't do anything. Uh, I mentioned to you that we're not really seeing a lot of harvest pressure. Uh, first off, probably the U.S. farmer is pretty well healed financially. It's got a nice, big, fat insurance price that he got back in February. Um, Probably doesn't have a whole lot of reasons to be too aggressive selling this crop at harvest. We get deeper into harvest, we might see a little bit of price pressure, but uh, uh, not really expecting an enormous amount there. Brazil's hitting the quarter pole, uh, getting their first corn crop planted, but that's not nearly as important a corn crop uh, as the second one that they'll start planting here in oh, kind of January, February time period. So outside of that, what's bullish? Honestly, when you sit here and you look at the corn market, it's kind of hard to come up with a whole lot. Uh, we've talked about bean prices probably holding corn prices up to a degree, um, but really not a whole lot to be uh, to be bullish about. It can change quickly with weather in South America, but uh, at this point, that's kind of where the market's sitting. Here's the graphic I wanted to show you. This is one of Bill's charts here. This is, you know, we've, we've talked about fixing the corn balance sheet. When you start getting at and below 10% stocks to use on corn, you're tight. And we have lived for the three prior crop years here kind of on the edge. This is kind of part of a lot of the higher prices we've seen for not just corn, but a lot of items. Remember, corn is king. It's the, it's the crop that we produce the most of. Matter of fact, I think I've heard Bill say that we produce more corn in the U.S. than everything else together. Right. So to some degree or another, this is going to drive prices. And you can see we kind of fixed a supply problem here. Uh, the market, I say we, the market has fixed a supply problem here. So that's the graphic I wanted to show you there. Scott, what's going on in uh, the well, market? We were down last week, uh, certainly with Kansas City and Chicago, about 4%. Uh, things moved a, a good bit. Minneapolis was actually going the other direction. Uh, so that spread continues to widen between Minneapolis and Kansas City. Not much change on the international uh, market, at least in, in terms of where pricing is at. Um, got the same things going on in, in the Black Sea. Um, really no news, no nothing new on the grain deal or, or uh, talk about a grain deal. Uh, the Southern Hemisphere getting a little more uh, play in the wires uh, because it's dry down there. Certainly hearing a lot more about how Australia is is really in the grips of this El Nino now. Um, they're right in the kind of the, the growth 
part of their growing season, the vegetative uh, part of, of their growth season, uh, and, and they could use some rain, really could use some rain there. Argentina's not uh, as bad. Obviously, we know we've, we've kind of flipped the script there. They were dry, and now they're going to not be that much. Uh, theoretically, anyway. Theoretically, yeah. So we're still looking for about a, a 16.5 type crop down there. That's not um, you know, a, a, a moonshot for them, but but still a good size crop. Here in the States, uh, we're almost done wrapping up our spring wheat harvest. We're at 96%, looking pretty good. Um, because this crop did not get a lot of stress at all, we're at uh, maybe just a touch lower on the protein, 14.2 uh, versus a 14.6 average. Um, falling number is 410 versus 375 in the five-year average. So again, outstanding quality uh, for the spring wheat crop. Winter wheat planting at 26%, 29 on average. Uh, I read a deal yesterday that uh, this Farm Progress, which is a publication, they had a survey claiming that we're gonna gain 5% on our winter wheat acres this year. Um, Really? Yeah. That, I mean, I would have guessed higher. I don't know that I would have guessed quite that much. 38.7 million acres um, would be, uh, again, the, the highest uh, uh, total acres that we've had since uh, like 2015 or something like that. So are you suggesting that the best cure for high prices is high prices? Something like that. I've heard that before. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure where, but uh Otherwise, you know, that kind of wraps up the wheat today. Uh, again, I think the wheat market is kind of marking time here, waiting for the report on Friday. Yeah, I think a lot of markets are uh, are marking time. Uh, one of those would not be the soybean market. Um, I clearly screwed that uh, decimal thing up on the uh, – that's not down 303%, I think. It's, <laughs> I think it must be 3-point-something percent, and I got uh, probably the zero in there. I think it's 3.3. 3. Yeah, I think that zero was supposed to have been a decimal. I missed a little bit. I just noticed that. But uh, at any rate, bead prices off a good little bit. Uh, harvest is going pretty good. Um, I don't think farmers are necessarily rushing to the guillotines here, but we've talked about how expensive soybeans are relative to price of corn, price of wheat, price of pretty much everything that they keep compete for acres with. Um, the situation in uh, Brazil is it's very, very early, but we're kind of getting started planting the crop. Though great big problems down there, at least at this point. And so I think the market's just succumbing to that. You can see the bean oil market lost another 4%, about two and a half cents a pound last week. So I talked about Brazil. They're uh, just almost 2% planted. That's pretty damn close to the five-year average. Got a little heat coming in. Mato Grosso has got record heat coming in. Uh, not, again, not overly worried because it's early. They're starting to get a little bit of this rainfall pattern that you would expect with the rainy season. Uh, nothing yet to worry about, but obviously you've heard me say it a thousand times, and I guess I'll make it a thousand one. We really need to make a bean crop in South America. If we make an average bean crop with the acres that they planted, like I showed you, just showed you with corn, we'll start to fix the soybean balance sheet, but we do need to make a crop down there. So the market's going to be uh, quite nervous. Uh, while we watch, every time we have a weather anomaly, the market's probably going to go, oh, my God. So, at any rate. And then the vegetable market, uh, palm oil. Uh, you probably know what I'm going to say here. I probably shouldn't say it. I guess there's some people that might be listening new. But I would say probably for at least five months now, palm oil has, for the most part, been an 800 and something dollar item. Uh, 
you remember to buy it, kind of like now when it's down around 800 bucks, you have been rewarded. Uh, if you don't get too panicked and uh, have to buy more when it's 900 bucks and you can be patient, wait for it to come back down, you have also been rewarded. And I don't know that I see anything at this point that tells me that that is likely to change. You also see, see the canola number I'm, I was talking about earlier down about five and a half percent. Canola harvest is rolling right along those numbers as always. Are, matter of fact, I don't think I even updated that. Uh, but I we, got, are, we are well past the 50 percent mark. Yeah, I, I got the North Dakota number uh, updated, but I did yeah. not find the Saskatchewan yeah. or Alberta or Montana. Yeah, they're probably worth. Uh, and again, they're always a week behind reporting estimated to be probably coming up on the two thirds poll uh, harvested. Yields in North Dakota appear to be a good bit better uh, than advertised. Uh, yields in Canada, directionally the same, but not quite to the order of magnitude. It's probably a little bit better crop. Might eke out an 18 million metric ton crop up there, but I guess our estimate would still be uh, 17 point something, probably the upper 17s from what we're hearing so far. So, and outside of that, that probably is going to cover it uh, pretty well for the visual slides. We'll get into the dairy here. Jay, what do you got for us? Well, a little excitement. Let's go through the class three milk. Class three milk down about 5.2%, 1716 per hundred weight. So down versus last year. Spot block cheese is at $1.78, down 5.3% um, versus last week and down 9.2% versus last year. Where all the excitement is, is in the butter market. Hello, $3 butter. We're up 10.4% versus last week, down versus 42 versus last year. A um, couple of just things to know. Last week, we got the milk production report, which came out a little bit better than anticipated. Um, milk production was still down um, month over month from July to August, but down not as much as what the trade expected. And the number of dairy um, cows was unchanged. So that was a little interesting just for the fact that it was extremely hot July and August, but no change on, on the numbers. If you go to the next slide, Dave, where the excitement really is in the dairy complex right now is really tied to butter. Um, we'll start with the class three milk futures. You can see that's a traditional normal carry you know, carry market. Um, cheese is probably fairly priced. We're at $1.78 on the spot right now. So that's that's about where it should be. Where all the excitement and the focus is, is on the butter side. We got a stocks report that came out yesterday afternoon. Um, cheese stocks were exactly where the trade thought they were going to be. If you recall this past summer, we had a fireside sale on cheese for about four weeks, booked some spot export market stuff, and then um, spent the next eight weeks of cheese rallying up to two dollars, and now we're at about a buck seventy-eight. So kind of about where we probably should be. Butter, on the other hand, um, the stocks came out uh, uh, less than what was anticipated in the trade. Our normal five-year average on stocks drawdown for butter is about twenty-four point six million pounds. We actually pulled forty point three out of storage. So. Um, the trade did not anticipate that, so a little excitement on there. You can see the the steep inversion on the on the butter uh, forward curve. Um, literally, Dave, we've got a over 40 cent spread between the nearby spot butter market versus the December future. So the market's indicating wow. I, need, I need butter. I want butter. I need butter. I'll I'll be honest with you. It's a little bit of a head scratcher since cheese demand is a little bit on the soft side and butter demand supposedly is good. Um, I don't know if this is a little bit of a herd mentality where people kind of hit the panic button a little bit and whoever didn't have butter bought jumped in with both feet. 
um, and said, hey, I need it. I need to get it. Um, it just seems to be setting up for some interesting things here within the next, I would say, 45 days on the butter market. Because I think once we figure out, keep in mind, stocks are higher year over year uh, from a butter perspective. So we got more stuff than we did last year. So um, it's just it'll be not as high as we thought. huh? And yeah, I think the drawdowns have been more aggressive than what we, what the trade's been anticipating. But again, I think even with the aggressive um, drawdowns, I don't know if demand's going to hold. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we shouldn't. Uh, uh, again, to your point, Jay, with the stocks, we should not get anywhere close to that record price that we did a year ago. Wasn't that in October, right? Don't tempt the commodity guys. Yeah, yeah know, we, we should. Know. You, you know what? I would. <laughs> You know, I would think not, but crazier things happen in the butter market. It's kind of a, I, I'm not the only person out there scratching their head going, really? $3 butter? Um, I mean, you can make a case for it, but, you know, um, I mean. A butter market is kind of like your your crazy aunt, you know, you just never know exactly what it's going to do. Yeah, it, it's $3 Especially in a spot. The spot. And it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's $3 in a spot and we're in the two, you know, 250, <laughs> 260s, you know, in the deferred. So I, yeah. I don't know. Well, we'll we'll see how this one plays out. But I think it just to me, it seems to be setting himself up for a little bit of a, a relief as we go forward. You know, really, as as the clock ticks by, we get in October, November, weather's better. Milk production will stabilize. So we'll we'll see what happens. So I think I don't want to use the word panic on it, but it just it seems a little odd this time that we need to be at three dollar butter. But. Yeah, I've always uh, long said, and it probably applies to the butter and cheese market as much or more than anything else, but the spot market is a fickle mistress. She will love it, you today. It will break your heart tomorrow, and uh, the, she is certainly breaking some hearts in the butter side of things right now. So. Yeah, the dairy complex is a really in-your-face kind of uh, animal. You know, it's like it's all yeah. about what I got today, so. We'll see. It's probably that would probably be a good thing to do a uh, uh, kind of one of our webinars on is the, the the vagaries of the dairy market and the program and stuff. Although probably put too many people to sleep. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you, Jay. Yep. Um, weather weather market. It's I would say it's okay, not great anywhere, but not horrible anywhere. We got a little bit of rain as you can see in the central and western corn belts. Kind of slowed things up around here. Nate, you were saying that uh, you're getting more rain today, so nothing going up your way, huh? No, no, pretty wet, pretty wet. We've had some rain here, but I would think that we'd be kind of back at it here pretty quick. Wouldn't you think this weekend, Scotty? Yep, yep. I, I think we're supposed to dry out um, uh, and be be yeah, good the rest of the week. supposed to get hot again, too, it looks like. So not great. Got some work done in the eastern Corn Belt. Got a pretty decent forecast, a little bit of rain coming into the east. We dry back out, as Scott was saying, uh, here in the west. So um, not bad. I mean, you got some green there in the 8 to 14 day forecast for the Western Corn Belt, but this is a forecast that kind of looks like we're going to have enough windows to get this crop out. Uh, from what we can see right now, and that 8 to 14 day gets you out to the 8th of October, um, I would say more of a normal type harvest pace where this is not a crop that's probably going to come out lickety split like it did last year. We got the whole damn thing out. We were just about done by Halloween, I think, last year. Next yeah, year. so... Uh, probably more of a normal type harvest progress here in the uh, in the U.S. And you can see there on the 14th, they were still, you know, starting to see some of those rainy season flows. I mean, honestly, still not here yet. Uh, not hearing anybody tell me that they're overly concerned. They're getting some rain in Mato Grosso, uh, but with the heat they got coming in, probably going to wait for the heat to break. 
uh, and a little bit more rain, a little bit more of a developed rainy season. But again, I'll, I'll say it again, uh, it's still awfully, awfully, awfully early. So that might be the, the worst rain we've seen in Argentina, like in over a year. I'm absolutely <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that is an know. excellent point. But yeah. And so that is, I believe, folks, what we have for you today. Um, oh, yeah, beers in the back. I knew there was something else I was supposed to do. I'm sitting here thinking, man, I know I'm not done yet, but I can't think what else. This is what I was talking about. We have our two-beer discussion uh, where we'll talk through the uh, the stocks report. We'll stock, talk through the small grain summary, uh, kind of tell you what the USDA said and what the, uh, what the implications look like uh, going forward. So be sure and join us uh, on that. Uh, and as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, and as always, be careful out there, especially in the butter market.